Hey, welcome to BU. If you're a first-time listener, thank you for joining us. And if you are one of my regular listeners, I'm so happy you're back. So if you have not yet subscribed to BU Podcast, please do that for you and for me. For you, I love being subscribed to my favorite podcast. And the reason is because I love getting that notification and that banner across my phone telling me when a new episode drops. So you will get that. And also, it's helpful if you would be willing to leave a rating and a review. The reason is is that as a podcaster, I've realized over the last almost two years how important those rating and reviews are, especially with someone like me who doesn't have a big Instagram following and who is really relying on the organic growth of the show through its listeners. So you can go to whatever platform you like to listen to podcasts on, and most of them will let you do a rating and a review. I love a five-star rating and a written review would be so appreciated. So money, money, money. We're going to talk about wealth and money today. It is one of the most triggering topics on the planet. Some people think they're not triggered by it because they haven't been willing to really look at how they respond or react to or if they have a relationship with money at all. And some of us don't think we're triggered by it because we don't notice that our behavior is really saying something other than what we believe we feel. So our actions are speaking much more loudly than what we say about how we feel about money, if that makes sense. So I have been wanting to have Teresa Bailey on the show for quite some time. The really exciting thing for you and for me is that she is a listener and she's a fan of the podcast. Such an honor for me to be able to say that. You're going to see in this conversation that she goes so much deeper and so far beyond the conversation of money. Many experts talk about, and you'll hear people talk about money mindset. You know, how you think about money and what's your money mindset. But it's so much deeper than that. And she talks about it on this episode. I know you're going to love it. So let me tell you a little bit about Teresa J.W. Bailey. Teresa J.W. Bailey is a woman in wealth management with a passion for helping more women tune in and connect to their relationship with money. Teresa believes that the majority of women today suffer from generational money trauma and struggle to find a loving connection with their resources. During her own journey scaling the wall of a fiercely male-dominated industry, Teresa learned that by looking inward and healing her own traumas, she amplified her ability to connect and counsel others. Teresa has received numerous awards and recognition for her thought leadership on the complex nature of money and emotion, and she is frequently asked to share her opinions on stage and in the media. And we've got her right here on BU. So, so happy to introduce you to Teresa J.W. Bailey. There is nothing more inspiring than a woman being unapologetically herself. The answers are all in your heart. She's waiting, she's waiting, she's waiting for you to set her free. Welcome to BU Podcast. I'm Jill Herman, and I am so glad you're here. I was broke, insecure, and craved approval. But with grit, hustle, and sacrifice, I still built a successful multi-million dollar business. 10 years in, burnout, I slowed down and looked inward. In that silence, I discovered that the same level of success could have come to me with much less effort and so much more joy. That's when I threw out the expectations of the world and chose to unbecome every single thing I thought I was supposed to be. And the real me was uncaged. 
was far from easy. And in this podcast, I'll offer my entire journey as a roadmap so that if you're ready, you can finally be you. Okay, I am so happy to finally be sitting here with Teresa Bailey. As I said in the intro, Teresa has worked in so many different areas of wealth management. She is a, no pun intended, wealth of knowledge. In my opinion, and this is my opinion, she, you know, we say how you do one thing is how you do everything. And the way she looks at and talks about and teaches about wealth and money is a very broad, holistic approach. And I think, my opinion, Teresa, it's because of the work you do in and on yourself. You have such a diverse view of the world and you're so in touch with what a lot of us are running from and hiding from or not willing to look at. And I see that it comes out in the way you look at money. And that's one reason I was so excited to have you on. I mean, I'm just so excited. So everyone heard about you before you actually got to be here with me today. So let's just jump right in. I mean, you've got an audience of primarily women from all over the world excited to hear you talk about money. And you could talk for days about money, but what are you most passionate about, especially with women when it comes to money? Oh, that is a big question. First of all, thank you so much. I'm honored to join you today to talk about this subject. What I am most excited to to really dive into is the concept that you know we've all heard time is money time is money i think it's more about energy i think money is really a function of energy how we feel about money is a function of energy and especially women we're in this weird time in history where there's a huge transfer of wealth from really majority men into the hands of women and now women will have an interesting moment in time where they've, by majority, really hidden from money for reasons I believe to be past trauma, generational trauma, but they're going to have more of it, the majority of it in their hands to make investment decisions, to decide where that money, where that energy will be channeled. So for me, it's a really exciting moment in time for women and really coming to understand money and and have a relationship with money. I think many women have been scared of it. So their relationship is very triggering and distant and complex. And I was talking to a girlfriend uh, the other day about this concept. And I, I said, it's a little bit to me like the stories I hear of some women the first time that they looked at their female anatomy and it just completely freaked them out. Do you know what I mean? Yes. Like, I feel I'm like, never going to think about that the same, by the way, <laughs> or money. <laughs> so I, it, to me, it's very similar. I think there is there is a very distant relationship. And to make that conversation even more interesting, a lot of women have just deferred it to men. That's so good. Right? Like, oh, I don't know. I don't understand anything about what's going on. So I'll just let him handle yeah, it. Let me just And let me just go to my... Speaking of the other part of the conversation, let me just go to my male gynecologist and let them explore and tell me what my parts are. Oh, Yes, not just triggering. I was thinking the word avoidant, like scared, shame. Oh my gosh, you're right. What an amazing connection. 
I see it. I think when it really, because of course I'm starting off in my early twenties in this industry and I was raised by a man. My mother died when I was very young. So it has been, you know, an almost 20 year journey with me realizing why I was going into an industry and I was very uncomfortable with it. So it's, it's really, really special to women, this relationship with money. And the more that I have uncovered about myself, the more I'm able to help other women. And I, I think it really started to come together for me when I started working with some really incredible entrepreneurial women, business owners who, you know, when you're not in the emotional moment, it's so much easier for you to see the storyline of what's unfolding. Mm-hmm. I would engage with a, an entrepreneurial client who was a woman who was selling a business for millions and millions of dollars. We'd get to a point where some personal financial, not business, personal financial decisions had to be made. And I'd hear, oh, well, I'm not good with money. <gasps> After she just built a multi-million dollar business. Right. Oh, uh, you're not? I I find it really hard to believe you're not good with money and you have this business to show for it. So that happened over and over and over again. And that's really what started my journey to dig into why do women struggle with having a relationship with money that is positive and nurturing and loving? It's it's either avoidant, as you as you mentioned, or it's kind of almost this lust kind of feeling. And, and it becomes very negative and toxic. Yeah. And I'm glad you used the word relationship because your question you're asking isn't, why do women have difficulty making and producing and manifesting money? Because we clearly know that's not the issue, right? But many people, as you said, do that and they still have an, I'm, I'm going to use the word unhealthy or interesting dance with money and relationship with money. It's This is so fascinating. I think many people have heard, and and I'm glad it's common. I'm glad it's spoken about a lot and it's not something that's rare anymore. Many people have heard and they're probably, when we had this episode air, they're expecting us to talk about money mindset, money mindset. And I love that you're using the word relationship because it's a heart connection. It's not just what do I think about money based on my own childhood, but that relationship with money. Like, can I even have a relationship with money? But I would like to go back to, you were raised by your dad. I was. And how did you, and what is the connection to you getting involved in this industry? Because isn't this industry a pretty, is it correct to say it's a male-dominated or a very masculine industry? And then- the whole topic of relationship with money. How did you get to this place? I can look back and now say I got to this place kicking and screaming. Really. I sat at the kitchen table with my father in my adolescent years, really struggling with him to figure out our finances because he was a traveling salesman, really, really charismatic, great at what he did. However, he was raising two little girls by himself. So it was very difficult for him to manage all of the things. And anytime there was a life event, he 
couldn't quite figure out how to put the pieces together and and seemed to always make not bad financial decisions, but ones that did not help him, that were not in his best interest. And so when it came time for me to really focus in on schooling, what degree do I want to get? I wasn't necessarily in love with finance. It was one where I tried a couple other different things. I was in the School of Art for a while. I uh, realized that 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 just <laughs> couldn't draw. Like I wanted to be an interior designer so bad, but I had no talent. So I hopped back over to the business school and looked at finance. And really the thought was, well, I'll learn it. It will help me personally. Perhaps it will help me help my father. I won't be any worse off having a degree in corporate finance. However, in those classes every night, I did the, the late classes because I worked during the day. I would sit in those classes and I, I stopped going very early on in my college courses and would teach myself and just show up for the test because the conversation in the classroom was just not appealing to me. It was very masculine. It was a bunch of guys talking about how they were, you know, they had alpha and they were beating the market. And it was just not any kind of language or conversation that I was attracted to. And when I went home and read the book, by myself, I could understand the concepts that were being laid out in front of me. But if we talked about them in the classroom, I just, I had no interest, zoned out. So I graduated. I had had the experience in college of my day job, which was working in a hotel. And I had been helping people, uh, business travelers, families. I was in the hotel during Hurricane Katrina. And there was so much emotion and need that happened in that moment that it was very difficult for me to imagine sitting in a cubicle doing a spreadsheet. So I had the passion for wanting to help people every day solve problems. And then now I had this knowledge that I wasn't necessarily in love with about spreadsheets and internal rates of return and you know derivatives and just things that are not really aspiring to an Enneagram number four. <laughs> so <laughs> I um, that shout out to Tracy O'Malley for helping me figure that out. So I sort of stumbled into the wealth management field uh, very early on, probably right before I got out of college. And I started off really as a operator building that business for the gentleman I eventually became business partners with. So I was hiring and sort of building the structure around the services that we were offering without actually offering them myself. And then over the years, I saw more and more need and saw how my mind and how my mind worked could help fulfill that need. And eventually, I found myself sitting around a table with widows who lost their husband, who were scared to death because they did not understand anything about money. They had deferred all of it. Or women who were suddenly divorced. And again, the same fear. Widows trying to process grief while making huge financial decisions. And then I saw some of my male counterparts really missing the healing that could happen alongside the journey of making those decisions. And part of that healing, I believe, is developing that relationship with money, understanding the concepts of it. And if nothing else, having someone craft a storyline 
for you so that you understand the boxes that you're checking on a form and how that's really going to play out in your life. So it's been one that I didn't see the path, but now looking back, I can see how that, you know, curriculum in college gave me the foundational knowledge to now think outside the box and begin to develop content for women that will help them feel more curious about money. Mm -hmm. Because I think that sort of playful curiosity doesn't exist right now anywhere. It's it's such a, oh, I have just got to increase my awareness about my money. It's this chore. feels like a chore. I just feel it from so many women. But then when we become friends, because I typically develop a, a friendship relationship with many clients, and we just talk about it like we talk about our kids or our husbands, ex-husbands, fathers, daughters. When it becomes part of a normal conversation, it becomes normalized and a relationship develops. And so now I'm looking for ways to expand that to a broader audience and help women you know, fall in love with their relationship with money. Use it to do the things that they dream of doing. They just don't quite know how to bring those two things together. So how would you say, let me think about how I want to ask this. Like, what is something that is very misunderstood in your opinion, just about money itself that plays into this? Because I know I've heard you say that money is energy and I've heard that before, but what is your take on it? Because I know it's a little, it's a little different than what people have heard maybe before. Like, how is it energy? What do you mean by that? And how does that play into that relationship? or lack thereof. Yeah, I think money as energy for me is a concept that it's always changing. Well, there's a couple of different aspects of it. Number 1, it's always changing. Your energy around money is not set. Like you don't decide I'm going to feel good about money. It's this ever evolving fluid place where where your desire and your focus goes, then your energy around your money should go. So for example, I'm working through personally a situation right now where last year I bought a new car. It was the anniversary of my father's death. I was feeling, you know, personally I had something else going on in my life. It was just one of those dark night of the soul heartbreak kind of moments. And I decided to go buy a new car. I felt really led to do it. It's a Porsche. I'm Typically not super flashy. It was a little flashy for me. But I had had an inside joke with my father that he would tease me and say that he would always know that I had made it when I bought him a Porsche 911. So kind of with a wink and a nod, I went to the dealership. I took my daughter with me to show her what buying a car looks like. Bought my little Porsche Macan and drove off. And it's it's beautiful. It sounds great. It just really gave me an energy boost to go and do that and show her and have this beautiful car. Well, fast forward now to October of 2022. That was March 21. Fuel has gone up. The price of the parts of the car have gone up. It went from last year giving me an energy boost, the money I was putting into that car. This year, I'm putting money into that car and it's feeling differently. I'm now looking back and I'm look, I'm getting in the car. Do I love it this much? Do I love the money I'm putting into this car? Does it give me the same level of satisfaction? 
And so now I'm doing a spreadsheet and a math problem on, you know, do I, do I downsize to, you know, a less expensive car? Would that give me that energy back? pushing that money into a different place. Mm. And I let me just interrupt here. I love that you're not saying you're doing the math problem because you quote unquote should, you know, save money. That's not what you're saying. You're saying, I'm asking myself, do I feel the energy shifting? I'm aware of it. It's shifting. And do I want to do what it's going to take to shift that energy back? Because it's not about changing your mindset about it. You could just think differently about it, but it's not, that's the connection I'm seeing that it's not going to change that energy exchange. It's not going to change the fact that you are not just spending more on the car than you did a year ago. It's like taking from the bank account of joy. It's withdrawing from that instead of adding to that bank account. You got it. You got it, Jill. That is 100% now, especially after this last year, I've had just a lot of awareness building around energy. And maybe, do you think this, Teresa, maybe too, the energy was meant to flow to you to give you what it gave you for this last however many months. And maybe the energy has shifted and it's time to let it flow out. Yes. Love that. And what's been interesting is I, about this financial decision in my life is I went, I went online. I saw that there was inventory of a car I might like. I went to the dealership. Well, Inventory is low. So I think some of the dealership websites show inventory they don't have to get you on the Mm. lot. Surprise, surprise. Got there. That car wasn't there. Oh, and they may not have a car for four to six months. So I went through the car salesman routine, which freaks many women out. I used to bring a man with me. Now I'm confident enough. You know, I still get kind of trapped in the, well, you got to, you got to do this now. You got to buy now the sort of emotional pull of it. But got there and they didn't have the car, you know, the one they're going to have in 30 days. Uh, I'm not really excited about. I don't like some of the the things about the car. And, you know, I've, I've got a little bit of a retainer on a car that'll be here in 30 days. So now I've given myself 30 days to make this decision, which means I I get to really contemplate, okay, if I give the car I have now up and I get keys to this other new one, I know the amount of money that it's going to save me over a five-year period. But what about how it's going to make me feel? Am I going to miss the car I had if I don't really love this new car? Or is it 100% about I am done with putting that much money and energy into car number one, and I'm really not going to care what I'm driving as long as it's okay and it gets me from point A to point B. This is such a great discussion. The whole show could be about this conversation because I keep wanting to say, like I was just thinking to myself, some of our listeners might be thinking in situations that they've been in where it's it's responsible because sometimes it is very smart and responsible to cut back or to save money. But I, I think about this situation with you and I mean, you know, math is your thing. It'd be very easy to say, okay, this is how I do it. I'm going to subtract this and have a different outcome. However, by settling, right, and taking the car that's just easily accessible, that checks the boxes and it doesn't cost as much, then you're sucking again out of that bank account, which is energy, which going to, is going to attract more of that vibration into your life anyway. I know you know this. I'm just observing it and hearing you and going, this is such a rich conversation. And this is why you're different. Because it is, because you're looking at it with such a depth and wisdom and not just mindset and numbers, which in my opinion, 
is very feminine versus masculine. I agree. It also comes from, I think it is masculine energy versus feminine energy. Masculine energy is typically produce, produce, grow, grow. And feminine energy is more create, build. But there have been far too many conversations I have had with individuals who have more means than they will ever need. And they are miserable, just absolutely miserable. And so along the way in my career, I I just realized there is no amount of money that will bring you joy. It is 100% not a number that, you know, in the entrepreneurial community, there's this ongoing conversation about, is it 2 million or 5 million? No, now it's 10 million. (laughs) 10 million is the sweet spot for how big your balance sheet is. And I see and, you know, I have conversations with people about their money every day. And it's 100% not about reaching a goal. I think that there is a energy boost when you check a box and you do reach a goal. But then after that, I, I often see many entrepreneurs who slide down an emotional hill because they've reached the goal. And now what? They have more money than they could potentially ever spend but they don't have a relationship with it, right? So they've the goal has happened, they've reached it, but they're not fulfilled in any way. And so once you start having enough of those conversations and sort of exploring, okay, well, if it's not reaching a balance sheet threshold, if it's not meeting a number, if it's not achieving a goal, what is it that is missing from these really smart, really driven, really introspective, really wonderful people's lives and how can I help them bridge the gap. Mm-hmm. Okay. And I took you off on a bit of a tangent, but you were talking about how money is energy and primarily first, it's that money is always moving. It's always changing. Sorry, changing. Is there anything else you want to say about money being energy or that exchange? No, I think if I, if I remember correctly, because yes, I went way down that rabbit hole. The other point you were asking about was masculine versus feminine. Is that correct? Yeah, we can talk about that because when, right, when you, we talked about your example and I said that was very feminine to me versus masculine, what I was thinking is the reason I would say that's feminine dynamic is because you were tuning into your intuition. You were going into how this feels and what is this internal wisdom telling me to do? Not I'm shaming myself. I need to quote unquote save money. You were really tuned into how does this feel for me? Am I having less joy? Actually, I am. Would I have more joy if I just you know, made more money and bought a nicer car? No. Maybe I would have more joy if I just didn't sink so much into this car, which I was so excited to get. Like to me, that's so feminine because the masculine just thinks very differently and it's not bad or wrong. And, you know, everyone listening, I think knows that we both, we all have feminine and masculine dynamics, each female and male does. But this topic of money and the field you're in is not just male dominated, it's highly masculine. I mean, let's talk about that. I mean, I have met so many financial, I don't know what word we'll use, but I people that call themselves financial experts or financial advisors, and these women are really masculine. I don't just mean in their dynamic, I mean in the way they come across. They're very manly. Yes. Nothing wrong with it, but let's just be real. So have you found that in this field? I became that. Ooh, let's talk about that. I have a whole collection of images and pictures and headshots of me where my hair was short. I had on, you know, practically a suit, everything but the tie and had really, for many reasons, it is difficult to enter this business as a woman. Everything from 
that the dynamics between women who are support staff and how they interact with a woman who is, you know, ascending into an advisory role, there's, there's an interesting dynamic there. There's a dynamic among clients with a, with a woman in a role of giving advice, especially when it's mostly men that are coming to these meetings. So for many reasons, I had sort of resigned to, okay, the path is just letting go of the mom side of me, the, you know, what we think of as the more feminine energy, nurturing, intuitive, and going more towards the masculine. And I began to wear it. So the more that I wore that mask of being very masculine, the more miserable I was. You know, I probably was the frog in, in the pot of water, as they say. I didn't know that that's what was going on at the time, but there were pivotal moments in my career where. I had to make a decision to, to quote, act like a woman, to be feminine and sort of stand my ground. And very often in those moments, I became on the edge, an outcast, sort of an out-of-the-box thinker. But for me, it was what was necessary to relate to the women that I was interacting with. Because when I approached them in a more masculine way, it was pretty interesting. Sometimes it was comforting, right? Because that was an energy that they were expecting. Yes, they felt safe with that because in that industry, they see men being the experts. Correct. But there were so many other women who, you know, when it was just me, without any other men in the room, it was just me and just them, they would volunteer information that wasn't coming up in the other meetings that was so important. And so the the words that are used, alpha, we got to beat the market. It's just very, very masculine. And in the real work that I do, it's just not. It, even, even with men. I mean, I when I'm one-on-one with male entrepreneur clients, after our first few meetings, the vulnerability that I experience is just captivating. It's amazing. And and it's because they, I believe, are used to having that kind of energy in, in their more intimate relationships, right? With you know their mother or their spouse. And so the more that I followed my own intuition and began to, again, look like the feminine woman that I am and talk like, you know, the feminine woman that I am, the the more I have been able to really help individuals. And the more that I have learned about myself, the more I'm able to help individuals, both men and women. And I'm just going to throw something out there. I would venture to say, I started to say I'm guessing, I'm not guessing, that there's no coincidence that you, when you first went to college, you wandered off into this creative arts school and then decided, oh, well, I can't draw. But that's the real you. I mean, that you is is so there. And I feel like I'm imagining that in this role, in what you do now, when you decided to, for lack of a better term, be yourself and actually not try to blend in, that that is your inner artist. That's the same person, the same woman who walked into college and said, you know what, I there's something calling me toward interior design, et cetera. And maybe it isn't drawing, right? But it's creative self-expression. It's like being yourself. It's flowing. It's. I feel like that was the feminine calling you. Oh, absolutely. 
And, and like so many of your listeners, I was at that time not in a place in my life where I knew at all who I was. And I lost my mother figure very young. My father remarried. It did not go well. My sister, unfortunately, struggled um, quite a bit early in life. And so my role have, had been from a very young age caretaker. And so like so many women, I really lost myself along the way. So by the time I went into college, it was very much, you know, that that frontal lobe thinking, well, what should I do? What is the right decision? Much more masculine energy about it. And so the feminine energy calling me over into that other space felt, you know, like a dream, like a little girl dreaming, if that makes sense. It does make sense. Yes. And isn't it interesting that what came up for you is that I can't draw? Yeah. I mean, really? The practical side of it, like, I don't really? (laughs) (laughs) Oh my gosh. Okay. You know, one thing you did say that I thought was interesting is you said that as you were sort of rising to the top, some of the women in that industry who were not on your path that were a part of that industry, I don't know what their titles would be, how they responded to you. I'm picturing before you even say it, it's like the crab like trying to get out of the cage and the other crabs are pulling it down that maybe they felt betrayed because you were, I don't know, what would you say? Oh, you've got it spot on. I mentor some young women. Um, I wish there were many, many, many more that were coming into this industry. We can talk about that in a minute. But I have mentored many women over the years. And one of the first books that I give them is the imposter syndrome. And I forget the artist, but I think I think there are so many people out there now that are aware of the book. But it's because it is really difficult to, in the beginning of your career, understand why women are treating you this way, not take it personally, and also make wise decisions about your career. And I did so many things wrong early on when this dynamic surfaced because, you know, I was looking for my mom everywhere, right? Every Mm. woman I met, I was looking for my mom, you know, or will you nurture me? Will you mother me? And so every time I had a woman be triggered because I was, again, raised by a man. So there, there was nothing passed down to me that limited me in any way. Career for me, the sky's the limit. And in fact, the only limiting thing, I think my dad once challenged me that I would never make more money than he made. And, you know, I'm a little bit of a firecracker. So, of course, I immediately figured out how to make more money than him. <laughs> but other than, I mean, and even that's sort of something that a father might say to their son to sort of prod them and, and challenge them. So, for me, there were no boundaries, but I know, but for so many other women out there, they watched their mothers and grandmothers and didn't really, you know, think potentially that they could ascend into an advisory role. And I know that there are many more other dynamics. I'm certainly not a specialist there. But I think much of the reason why women don't follow through on their intuition telling them to be in an advice giving role in the financial services industry. I mean, there's really only like 15% women. Lost financial services, which is just absurd. Wow. Um, I think it's a lot of it is because 
it is not a fun ride up. You really, I have learned over time that there are some women I'm just never going to develop a supportive relationship with. And then there are other women where it happens instantly and naturally, and they love contributing to the, the, the administrator of the support role that I need so that I can really talk more and give more advice. You know, that's one where I don't have a lot of advice on how to change that dynamic, only that following your intuition on the women that you're um, encountering along the way and really holding on to relationships that make you feel supported and good and not letting your own trauma and triggers and baggage make you keep somebody, you know, in a role supporting you because you think something's wrong with you. That was a huge lesson along the way. Mm. So in in thinking about those listening, what would you say is something that you see, I mean, pretty often with your clients that doesn't have to do with making huge decisions after a big life-altering event, but just how does the relationship or lack thereof come into their day-to-day, their spending, their saving, their just how they interact with money? What do you see? Because, I mean, you have interacted with so many women. What do you see over and over again? Over and over, I would say I see head in the sand daily. Uh, A lack of awareness of, well, really a lack of intention maybe is a better way to phrase it. It's especially when you have enough money coming in that you don't have to watch every penny, you really can get to a point where it's, you know, what I would refer to as, you know, chaos of energy. You know, you're kind of just spending money where it it feels right in the moment to spend money rather than more focused, controlled energy, which is having a spending plan. I don't use the word budget anymore. I'm I'm actually... People on my team are probably really tired of hearing me say it. I do not like the word budget. I think I don't either. Throw it out. It feels suffocating and controlling. Yes. That to me, that word in and of itself, there's nothing wrong with it, but it does. The energy of it triggers a lot of trauma that a lot of us have. Even if they didn't grow up the way I did, which was my parents fought about money nonstop and we had no money, even if they didn't grow up like that it feels like a vice. It feels like handcuffs. It feels like a straitjacket, doesn't it? You've done something wrong. So let me put you in this cage. I hate that word. So what did you tell me what you use again? It's like a timeout. You've spent too much. You must budget. You're in timeout. Instead, it feels like a diet too. Yes. So I craft spending plans. Spending, we, we kind of like that word. And plan feels like you're you're cleaning out your closet a little bit, right? You've just, you've got things in order. So having a spending plan, and it does not have to take every ounce of energy you have to categorize every single thing. You know, there is technology out there now that's quite a bit easier to have your bank accounts and your credit card statements flood into a dashboard. And then you can go in and spend a little bit of your time and energy telling, you know, the software, what categories each expense goes into, even that can help you be more intentional and more aware of where your energy, where your money is currently going. And I think that intention is the foundation for an expansion 
of intention around your entire balance sheet, meaning it goes from intention around money coming in and money going out to intention around what assets do I want to own that help me move closer to where I want to be in my life. And I think the most interesting example I have of that is we're taught very young that that owning a house is the first thing that you should do. And in my work with women, I'm challenging that. Really? Tell us about that. There is a lot of energy that goes into real estate. A lot of energy that goes into real estate. The maintenance, you know, the care of it, the you know, new additions that have to happen, the ongoing maintenance of real estate requires a lot of energy. And it is okay for the math not to make perfect sense. So maybe you are renting a lifestyle in a house that makes you feel really good. And you're blessed to have a landlord that takes care of the house and it continues to make you feel good. And you have a set number every month that you're paying. There are no surprise roofs or no surprise hot water heaters or whatever it is that pops up that, I mean, that is a trigger, right? Like suddenly, you know, something happens and you have to say repipe your whole house because, you know, holes have, have sprung up and you have water leaks. That's a huge energy suck, money suck. I mean, that's, that's a big issue in your life that, you know, probably is going to pop up at the exact time you don't want it to. So if there's a point in your life where you're working on yourself, you're in growth mode, you know, you may want to rent. Let's talk about it. Let's do the math, see how far off it is for your balance sheet. And if it makes you feel better, let's do it. That's so interesting. That's not something you hear people say very often, I think. All right. So you said that one of the behaviors that you see over and over again is like head in the sand. And is there something else? Because I'll tell you something about me. I don't know if anyone can relate to this, but if you say to me, hey, Joe, let's use one of those services that you just mentioned, these apps or whatever IT service that's going to actually categorize all my spending and show it to me, I know it's because I still have work to do. I know that. Uh, So I know it's no one's fault and I know that it makes sense why this happens, but that's traumatizing to me because as soon as I see how much money I'm spending, I immediately feel shame and it doesn't matter how much I'm spending. It triggers all the shame from my childhood. It triggers all the stuff that I'm not avoiding. I just haven't gotten to it yet, my God. So I personally would feel more motivated if I had someone say, okay, instead of categorizing it all and showing you what you're spending, this is how much you have coming in. Tell me what your bills are. And this is how much you can spend without it negatively affecting what the outcome that you say you want. And I know that's very subjective, but that's very motivating to me. But I know my husband's listening right now. Um, he's always talking about having a budget and he wants to like break it down with me. And he's like, I can't do that because, you know, I know you're going to react a certain way. And I'm like, well, then don't do it. And then I go into this trauma response where you want to see me not spend money, buddy? Trust me, I can out not spend money anybody. <laughs> If you can even understand what I just said, like I'm so good at not spending money from my past. Try me. I get very defensive. Like you don't know how to not spend money, dude. I can literally, I will, I will survive on nothing. I mean, my father retired in his fifties and he lives on coffee at McDonald's in the morning, some Ritz crackers, canned soup, 
one Pepsi a day and some salad. And <laughs> my point is he spends zero money. So I, I've seen that, but I've also been in a place where I couldn't spend money and I had to count every penny in my previous marriage just to survive. So I can do that. Does it make sense to you that that's traumatizing for me? Like, I don't like that feeling of let's, let's, let me show you the mirror. It's just like looking at a scale. Probably good for me to get on the scale, but I don't want to, I don't want to stand in front of the mirror naked. I'd rather look the other way. You have just perfectly described where I, I have begun to be relationship counselor in many of my client relationships. And I meet with, with spouses one-on-one because everyone's relationship with money is so different. So I think that one, you know, you pointing this out, number one, I would see a trend is not many people can voice what it is that they do want. They only know that they don't want it. So then it, they just avoid it. Right. So you saying it would be much more motivational for me to have this is tremendous. So that is one tip I would say women can think more about what would draw them to a money conversation and be able to voice that in their wealth management conversations. But 100%, absolutely. I think that everyone has a different childhood budding relationship with money. Um, And in the industry, it's called money scripts. What are you telling yourself about money? Mm -hmm. There's very interesting categories in that. What are some of them? Some of those scripts? Oh, goodness. Put me on the spot. Just off the top Um, of your head, maybe two. So one money script, I can't remember the names of them, of course, right now. But one is, you know, sort of a script where I will never have enough. So I wait underspend. You know, your father, for example, if he had more money than he ever needed, would he still spend that way? So that's sort of that money scarcity mindset. And then there's the opposite. You know, you see the opposite often in salespeople, there will always be more money. So I will spend, spend, spend. And then another money script is when what you're spending on defines you. This is where Ooh, reality TV and social media have really, really pushed a lot of us to a dangerous place. And that is, I was listening to, oh, I forget the author. I'll have to give it to you so you can maybe put it in the show notes. I was listening to an interesting podcast and they had an author on who talked about how we no longer know our neighbors. And we used to financially compare ourselves to our neighbors at these neighborhood gatherings. You know, (laughs) Joe got the new Cadillac. You know, we should maybe have a new Cadillac. Now, who we compare ourselves to are the billionaires on TV. Oh, God, that's so good. Right? Like, oh. My girls and Kim Kardashian. Correct. It's not just the way she looks, but what she spends her money on. Like, Oh, even her pantry. I got triggered by Chris Jenner's pantry the other day. And I Can know we the just home talk about that. <laughs> I know the home edit was there doing it. I love those women, you know, but I'm comparing my pantry to Chris Jenner's pantry. Who gets 10% of her four daughters billion dollar income. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, if you've never watched the Kardashians, I congratulations. I can't say I'm that person. In fact, I mean, I've said on this podcast many times, I like watching mindless Bravo shows and shows like that. And you can judge me all you want, but I need it. Well, they can judge me too, but I love them because it's really fascinating for human dynamics. It really is fascinating. I also watch it for superficial reasons. Yes. But... <laughs> When you look at the pantry, it's not its not the organization. To me, it's just the excess. It's just gluttony, shiny, glittery, beautiful gluttony. You know, like, like there's no way 
Okay, I'm going to call myself out here. I was just watching the new season of Kardashians and the new season, episode two, just aired this week. And I just watched it last night or the night before. And in the garage, in Chris Kardashian's garage, her refrigerator, which is, you know, transparent, you can see right through the glass door. Oh, all the fruits and vegetables? No, this was in the garage. It's only beverages. She has like champagne, wine, soda, beer, whatever it is. But it's just like an amount that there's no way one person could ever consume that. Anyway, that's a whole different thing. But what people spend their money on. So my one daughter is a lash artist. So she puts eyelash extensions on people. Teresa Bailey, you should see how much money these young women and girls, and I'm going to say some of them are girls, high school. Now she has established professional women like you who come to her as well. But there are, are women who are 18, 19, 20. They're walking in with their big Starbucks, which had to have been 10 bucks. And they're paying hundreds of dollars to have my daughter put eyelashes on them. And the funny thing is they're young with healthy, beautiful eyelashes. And I'm like, where do they get this money? And then I realized, you know what? It's what you said. They're willing to sacrifice anything to spend this money because they need what they think Kim Kardashian has. And also there's a little bit, I call that the self-care creep, like lifestyle creep. And what I've really begun to counsel women to do, do you know the Maslow's hierarchy of needs pyramid? Yes. And you have your foundation and then you have the height where you've sort of ascended and your your self-actualization. Yeah. So I've started counseling to do a self-care pyramid and really think about the amount of money and energy you want to pour into your aesthetic, taking care of yourself, skincare, you know, hair, all of it, and figure out for you what is necessary. What's on that really that foundation of that pyramid. A great example is uh, one of my best friends always has her nails done every time I see her. I'm not even sure if I've ever seen a little bit of growth around the cuticle. Like she is on it with her nails. Me, never. Maybe I'll go get a mani-pedi with my daughter because she's really into it. But I am in the kitchen a lot. I type a lot. Like the amount of money going into my nails is not fulfilling to me because they it's it's a hassle. It's more things I have to do. For me, foundational is hanging out at my salon. And um, my salon is filled with just some of the most talented hair and makeup artists. And it's big girl dress up time for me. So I foundationally will have a monthly visit to that salon and give myself a lot of leeway to try new products and, you know, sort of experiment. That's very foundational to me. And then ascending up that pyramid is, you know, if you get a bonus, maybe you get red light therapy during your facial, you know, maybe you get that little extra add on, but I see over and over again where it's not that intentional pyramid type approach. It's this thing that women have all gotten swept into, which is if the majority of us that we see begin to do something, we feel like we must also do it. So if everyone is getting false eyelashes, well, you don't want to be left behind and be the little girl with the tiny little eyelashes. You know, you want, you want to be a part of the group. So it's, it's again, back to social media and this weird new comparison that we have to, to understand about ourselves. It's not going to go away. It's really about self-awareness and, again, intention about 
you know, what happens to future you if now you is sucking up all your money and energy for the false eyelashes and the Starbucks? You know, what, what does that do to future you and really caring for future you? And, you know, probably even to the extent of learning to have a relationship that balances now you and future you and, and where both of you are getting money and energy. And little girl you. Mm -hmm. Oh, there's a lot to unpack there for sure. Isn't there? I mean, oh my goodness. So as we're wrapping up, do you have any advice? I mean, you've been giving advice this this whole hour, but any advice you can think of, and I know I'm putting you on the spot, for the, the woman listening right now, and I'm going to be specific, okay? I want you to give advice to the woman who is not in a place where she is experiencing financial abundance. She's not the person who's making the decision about red light therapy while she's getting a facial. There's no way she has the money for a facial. Yeah. What would you say to that woman with regard to her relationship with money or what that means or anything you'd like to say to her? Oh, to that woman going through her moment of just trying to keep everything together um, every single day and feeling the stress and the weight that every financial decision is the biggest decision always. That's so suffocating. I would say that the first step is understanding that if you continue to feel suffocated by the financial situation that you are in, the chances are much higher that you will stay in that situation where you know, you reach your tipping point and the tide really begins to turn is where you can find a way. And it, it's different for, for women, you know, in, in that type of situation, it really depends on what their specific circumstances are, whether it's therapy or coaching or awareness, you know, we all learn in different ways finding a podcast about money that you really love or finding a, a book that's maybe written by a woman and is more about wealth consciousness and less about the details of money, you know, formulas and all that. Find books that are much more about how we really weave money into our lives and really work on being grateful for the money that you have today and the money that you know you will have in the future. And the more that you can increase your gratitude, and I know we hear that all the time, that gratitude matters, but we hear it because it's true. The more that you can increase your gratitude for having the resources that you currently have, the more the money will begin to flow to you because you will see the opportunities in front of you to either increase your income or reduce your expenses. Those are always the two levers to pull. You either need to increase what you're earning or reduce what you're spending for the magic to really start happening. And imagine if you could do both. Yeah. 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 And I would say, I'm going to say to that woman that because Teresa taught us that money is energy and all the energy you're putting into the feeling around it and the stress that it's bringing to you, Remember what we teach you on BU. Do something with that anxiety and that stress. Move it through your body. Get it out of you. Journal about it. Do anger release. You know, dance it out. And you may think it's doing nothing, 
but what it's doing a lot behind the scenes. So you're getting that out of you and away from you so that you can be more of a vessel for the abundance rather than more stress. So Teresa is bringing you into gratitude, which has to happen. You can punch all the pills you want, but if you're not focusing on gratitude, it's not going to change anything, right? So I think the combination of the two, and no, I know a combination of the two would be just life-changing. And then if you could also add in some inner child work, you know, I think the best teacher of inner child work is Christine Hassler. You know, really loving that little girl. Some people say it's not the little girl, but the wounded you, you know, one little thing is just putting your, you know, your left hand on your heart center, your right hand on that belly and just taking some deep breaths and saying nice things to yourself when you're feeling anxious about money may seem unrelated. It's not unrelated. It's it's very, very, very connected. And as Teresa has eloquently, not even realizing probably how eloquently she did in in what she taught us today, she, you know, didn't come on here throwing down numbers and, you know, guidelines for us. It was all coming back to energy and wisdom and love and it's all a currency. And I want to add one thing, Teresa, you are the first person I've had on who is an avid listener of the podcast. So you are the person listening. I mean, you're one of them. Yes, I'd love a shameless plug. Uh, But also, I just think it's interesting because other guests I've had on, I have found through other ways, and then they found my podcast after being on. So will you just share, if someone happens to be a first-time listener, what value this podcast has brought to you as someone who's already, you're hugely successful. You have a great life with your beautiful daughter, Ella. You have great friendships. You have lots of resources around you with regard to like people to reach out to and to learn from with regard to health. And I mean, to me, you really have your ducks in a row. You're doing lots of deep, beautiful inner work already. This wasn't new to you. BU didn't teach you that. So why do, why do you listen? Oh, I would say BU taught me a lot more about what I was already experiencing. So your podcast dropped into my life. Perfect time. I think one of the first conversations we had, in fact, I said, oh, BU, this has totally been uh, so important for me in my industry. So I think I, I think I recall bringing it up pretty, pretty early on that having a support system around becoming myself was what really brought me into my own and allowed me to confidently begin to be myself in this industry. So for listeners out there who are confused about who they are, I think the more that you listen to conversations like Jill is bringing you where, you know, it's courageous women and men really peeling the onion about all the different layers of themselves, the ones that bring, you know, joy and happiness and fulfillment, and also the ones that bring anxiety and fear and resentment and jealousy, you know, the really greedy ones that produce growth. I think leaning into all of the areas of yourself is what brings you more and more fulfillment. So, I love the show. Um, most of the shows I allow my daughter <laughs> to listen to, I got to do a... <laughs> you had to watch my F-bombs. I was, I, those just come out and I'm like, oh, I hope no one's having their kid listen. Well, uh, in my house, those words, you know, come up and she knows the ones that she should be repeating and the ones she shouldn't. So really, but some of the subjects may be a little bit over her head. So my daughter loves the show. I 
I find myself forwarding episodes. What's cool for me is that I'm having all these interesting conversations with women, women and their money. And Jill, you'll do a podcast on a subject where a week ago I had a woman in my office who was struggling with it. And I can send it to her and say, I think this one is just for you. Right. So mm. women share. And I think, Jill, you're bringing episodes that are so shareable for all of us who have girlfriends and we're working through things. So thank you so much for the work that you're doing. And it's so inspiring when you are at your most vulnerable, showing us that it's helpful for you and it's a gift for all of us. Mm, Thank you so much. So how can they find you? So I know uh, many people listening, maybe they they can't ever work with you directly, but how can they find you? Because I've noticed you've been making a few videos lately on Instagram. I have. So I really am opening up my vulnerability a little bit and beginning to create the content I think women need to hear. And there will be more and more of that coming. So my Instagram would be the place that I would suggest you follow me on. And that is at Teresa J.W. Bailey. And Jill, I'll make sure you have that for the show notes as well. So from that Instagram page, I'll launch all future you know, content, possibly some workshops and recorded videos. So there will be much more coming from me because now I'm more inspired than ever that women need it. I'm so excited. And hopefully you coming on the show is going to set a bit of a trap for you that now you have to make sure you do all that. Because I, I certainly know just from my interaction with you, and I know the people who listen to BU, hearing this, they are going to want more of you. I mean, Teresa, genuinely, you, the way you teach this and the way you talk about money is like something I've never seen or heard before. And it's you're someone who's like your right brain and your left brain work together really, really well. <laughs> it's really a beautiful thing. So I want to thank you for being here with us and blessing us with all of this and challenging us a little bit with this. And we're excited to hear more from you. Thank you, Joe. I'm honored.